Welcome back to The Lounge. Now, today's special guest is Dr. Sharon Hinchliffe of the University of Sheffield, who is a pioneer in sexual rights for adults. And I've loved chatting with her last time. I've learned so much and it's wonderful to have her back. So welcome to The Lounge, Sharon. Oh, thank you, Audrey. It's great to be back. Oh, always great to chat with you. And your work is so important. And the best part of this is it's been recognised recently. Congratulations. <laughs> with a She Inspires Award. And why is this Girl Up, they call it? Why is this Girl Up Award <laughs> so important? I mean, I know your work is so amazing. We are going to talk about this, but why is that such an important recognition? Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. The The She Inspires community are fantastic anyway, and they've been running for so many years, quite a few years, and they're quite well established now when they grow as, as, as time goes on. But there's quite an interesting backstory, I think, because originally I was nominated for a different award, which was the Agent of Change, which kind of recognised all the work that I was doing to uh, drive positive change in the area of ageing and sexuality. Um, and I didn't win that one, but I got nominated by the judges in a non-entry category for the Girl Up Award and I won the national award uh, for that and that is around it's a recognition of the work that I've been doing but also to celebrate um, the the work that I do in in supporting and mentoring other women to achieve their goals. Oh that's just wonderful and you are you're so inspirational you're a lecturer you're a professor you've been really driving the sex rights charter which I think is really important we will be talking about that in a moment but your work around the sexual rights of seniors this is something that we just we still don't talk about enough do we I mean what what are we still getting so wrong (laughs) that's a really good question um so I think this the sexual rights charter which we launched in 2022 now that was uh developed so that we were treating older adults with dignity and respect Mm. when it comes to our sexuality whether that's our sexuality as a behavior so our sexual relationships our sexual activity but also our sexuality as an identity because we have got quite a strong evidence base that that tells us that our sexual rights are just quite simply not being met just on the basis of us being older Mm. so it's um, we've developed that obviously on the back of research but with community and partnership engagement as well but it was born out of frustration and that is the frustration that you're asking about I think Audrey in that you know, in society, in our society, um, there's an increased visibility and acceptance of the sexual lives of older adults, in particular older women. Yeah. Uh, but those kind of stereotypes and those yes. negative attitudes are just lingering around and, and are finding that this is really, really frustrating. And then working with my uh, colleagues that work in services, social care and healthcare, they are quite frustrated by how their service is lacking behind. So while we're seeing kind of a positive shift in society, it's not completely gone, don't get me wrong, <laughs> we still see ageism and we still, yeah. you know, see some really really kind of dramatic reactions to the Mm. sex lives of older adults and there was an article published in the New York Times last year about the joys and challenges of sex after 60 and the Mm. responses to that were quite interesting a lot of yuck oh I don't even want to see this I don't want to hear about it so we have still got uh, some way to go but you know the services really are crying out for support in this area they really are and something that struck me from last time we spoke and it was it was interesting because I then interviewed a lady who provides daycare for seniors who need that little bit of extra support little bit of extra um community 
help. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she said was that I would want people to treat me like a person when I get to this age. And and it's a similar sort of thing. Do people who are going, oh, yuck, oh, I don't want to see this, not think we're going to get old at some point? (laughs) Part of our engagement work to develop the charter was with communities and we engage with younger people and and we were emphasising, well, what future do you want? You know, it might seem like a disconnected thing at the moment. You might not think about getting to 30, never mind getting to 50, 60, 70, but how would you want your future to look? So, And that's what it's all about. It's an important point. It's not about the generation now of older adults it's about future generations as well it is and then something really important that you were saying about still how older adults are treated when it comes to sex life and sexual behaviors I recently read about the hourglass campaign it was during safer aging week Mm. and in this the older generation doesn't seem to be treated the same as the younger in a way it's almost like um sexual assault and sexual abuse can't happen or only happens in that almost domestic violence relationship where it's been an ongoing thing for a long time and i'm not making light of that that mm-hmm. happens and that's awful but it's just almost not even thought of as a possibility and i i think that's shocking and frightening It is indeed. And I know that Hourglass do some absolutely fantastic work in terms of supporting uh, older adults and their families and their friends around uh, the abuse in many forms that that we can experience. But I think when it comes to sexual abuse and sexual assault, I think there's a tendency within our society in particular to not particularly view older adults as victims, but we're more likely to see them as vulnerable. So it's a a bit of a tension that exists, I think, in society. And I think it does reflect a lot on the value that we placed that's placed yes. on being older, as though you know it's um, it's less of an issue or it's less of an important issue, um, whatever the reasons behind that thinking are, because it's completely illogical to me. But you know, I think there are stereotypes that older adults don't fit what we would expect to be a sexual assault victim. Wow. And that's frightening because, of course, it it happens and people need support. They need counselling. And sometimes, actually, it can be helpful if the person who's offering the counselling has that awareness, because otherwise you get this funny situation where someone's trying to do the best they can to help. But if they themselves are not seeing that person as even capable of being a victim, then it Mm -hmm. doesn't work. It's almost like you said last time we spoke about how GPs would advise a younger person about any Uh, possible sexual side effects but they wouldn't do that for an older person as if they do not perceive that person being able to have sex yes yes that's right I think the sort of ageism is really insidious and I think it affects us in ways we don't often realize you know the ways that we think the ways that we approach older adults as well and often these are well we we would call it perhaps an unconscious bias so I think there's a lot a lot a lot of that that we need to overcome we might not want to talk to our parents about their sex lives. And I, I understand that because that's a family thing and they probably don't want to talk to you about yours. But but how can we address the taboos around sex as we get older? I know I ask that for myself as much as anything else. <laughs> I agree. It's perfectly normal to not want to talk to your parents about <laughs> sex and vice versa. Um, <laughs> and But I think that the, the taboo exists. It exists on a societal level and it also exists on an individual level as well. So we really need to try and tackle both rather than tackling one or the other. And, you know, there are so many, sex is such a kind of 
a loaded topic, isn't it? And yes. when you look at the history of sex uh, and you look at how it's situated in various cultures and how it's understood at different periods of time, you know, you learn about the kind of mysteries of it and how the sort of society within which we're talking about within that historical period has an influence on how we understand and experience sexual activity. Yes. And indeed, even, you know, in sort of in today's society, um, we know that for some individuals, then it's perceived if you have sex as a woman who's menopausal, then that is literally a fate worse than death. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> bizarre. A, it's bizarre, isn't it? Because to have sex with a woman who's past kind of reproductive age, who now is kind of gone into the grandparenting role, then there are sort of beliefs within certain communities that that will cause illness, it might cause death, and then you might not even be allowed into a, the afterlife by your ancestor. Oh, goodness. It's, wow. It's quite loaded, isn't it? There's a lot of things that we attach to that. And it's just that kind of traditional sort of beliefs um, that we find around different activities. And they seem to be quite quirky, the ones that are around sexual activity, but they are powerful and they last. They yes. do last. They leave kind of traces, if you like. And and they last as well in in an almost misogynistic way in some cases. So for example, um, in I'm Southeast Asian and I know of a number of stories of second wives, of the first wife knowing, of all of that sort of situation. Um, and it's common. But if it were to be a woman who had a second husband, no, 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 that, that does not happen. That doesn't happen at all. I mean, isn't that a problem as well that we we almost have a perception that Men are allowed to do something, women aren't allowed to do something as we get older and, and so on. I think that is definitely it, isn't it? It's that double standard of ageing. <laughs> we assume that men want to be continue to be active sexually and that they can go ahead and do that with, a, with an, an extra partner, additional partner, whereas women are not allowed to do that. And the assumptions that we lose interest in sex as we get older, or we lose our sexual desire when really it's a societal message saying you lose that kind of se sexual desirability. Yes. And that is just the product of a patriarchal society, I think. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it? Now, now, actually, on that note, it, there's been some films recently. I'm literally in the middle of watching Good Luck to You, Leo Grant. And one of the key things that she says is that almost she feels invisible as, mm -hmm. as, a, as a person. And then almost with her friends of her age, they can all just feel invisible together. And that's <laughs> such a sad message and a sad thought. But I think that is something that a lot of, of us feel. I think that's true. Yes, yes. I've heard many, many women when I've been talking to them uh, through research or just through community engagement projects say the exact same thing, that they feel a sense of visibility. And that is why films like this are absolutely fantastic, because they're allowing women's sexuality um, to be sort of represented in that way. It's being visible. It's like kind of... We don't need to legitimate it, but it's kind of like doing that, isn't it? It's, give, it's giving us the okay <laughs> to yeah, be yeah. older, to be sexy, to be desired and desirable. Exactly, and if... exactly. I, I'm i sticking with the subject of films just for a minute. I don't know whether you've watched all of these and you please don't feel you, you've had to. But there was another one which Sandra Bullock did recently. She was playing clearly a slightly older, but she, she looks like she looks and the age difference was never mentioned whatsoever. However, in Leo Grant, they they played Emma Thompson of her age. 
And mm-hmm. so it was very marked. It was part of the plot in so many ways. And do you think that's another unconscious bias that we have there? So as long as you look like Sandra Bullock, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but if, if, if you don't, like, you know, I know I don't, then it's a bit of a problem. When you were talking there, it was making me think about how women, uh, there's been some literature on this about women sort of making themselves look long, look younger in order to retain their jobs and their status within their current job. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if they're sort of, um, if there's issues in employment and they're at risk of, of you know, if they're making cutbacks and things like that, uh, as though women feel as though they need to be in competition with, with younger women and, and things. So I, I don't know whether it's some of that that's coming into play here. I really, really don't know. But, you know, there is certainly a lot of pressure, isn't there, on women to look a certain way as they get older rather than to just age the way that we, we can do. age, you know, and still be you know, beautiful, still be sexy, still be attractive. Exactly. (laughs) Trying to squeeze into an ideal. And then something else that came out of the Leo Grande film was that Emma Thompson had said um, she she has hated on her body all her life. And so as she gets older, it's almost just worse. And do you think that's an issue for an older woman who wants to be in a sexual relationship or is still in a sexual relationship is almost a pile up of insecurities. And actually, do you think it's the same for men as well? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really good question as well, because it is something I've come across, you know, and, and yeah, women saying that they do feel kind of insecure as they get older. And especially if they're starting new relationships, yes. but then they remember that their partner it's usually around the same age as them. Yes. <laughs> so they might have sort of loose skin or they might have sort of a, a bit of a bigger belly than when they were younger, but so will their partner. You yeah. know, they might have an ache. You know, I've got a terribly achy hip at the moment and it's something that I'm struggling with, but, you know, so might their partner. So we have to recognise that it's not only us that's getting older, it's our partners as well, usually, or in the case of uh, the film we've just been talking about, yeah. he's quite a much, a much younger man, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but he he's got his own insecurities as well, and I think that's uh-huh. that's great, and it, it works really well. I've been watching a lot of these in preparation. No, this is my form of research. Um, How to Please a Woman was another wonderful mm. film, Australian film. But in this, the big joke, which they worked really well, was that well, men don't clean, and men don't. She teach, starts a cleaning company with with gigolos basically, who go and clean and give orgasms at the same time. (laughs) And the premise behind her thinking is that an older woman wants someone to clean the house, but also wants to have an orgasm as well. And (laughs) it was so refreshing to hear people talking about this so frankly I think is there a conversation that still needs to be normalized here yes yes I think there is but I think from what you're saying in these films it is definitely starting to happen isn't it and these films as well as other shows that we've seen on tv like Grace and Frankie they're really changing and challenging the kind of narrative about older women and sex you know which is really important we need that societal change and we need that change on an individual level as well I'm glad you mentioned Grace and Frankie because that's (laughs) something we talked about last time as well Yes. Um, it's it's also the LGBTQ plus community in there. And I think that's important as well with the two gentlemen in that story finding each other at a later point in life as well. And that mm-hmm. must be quite difficult because, again, in the same way as I guess a woman has their hang ups about their body, it seems to be the more stereotypical thing. Men, there has always been that greater hang up, perhaps, about sexuality. 
as in terms of as in, sexual identity yeah sexual identity yeah. and well yes I guess what I would say about that is that thinking about the sort of what the um social context was like when we were growing up you know yeah. many in the 70s now have grown up during a time when it's been um sort of considered to be a mental illness if you're yeah. gay you know people could be sort of um charged they could be locked up they could be they experience all sorts of different types of discrimination just because of their sexual identity mm-hmm. and I think that's why they feel as we get older that maybe that we can kind of be a bit more open to that side mm. of things but and you know I, I th- Sorry, sorry. Oh, yes, I was just thinking how women kind of t- tend to step into their power around midlife. A lot of women do, don't they? And maybe yeah. this is why we're starting to see those films and see those narratives, and it's it's much more visual and much more much more clear to see. Yes. Also, those films are written produced by women. Interestingly enough, as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be interesting to see it from maybe a male gaze point of view. Uh, yes, uh, that yes. would be quite interesting. But anyway, that's it. Not a film critique, but I can see why your work is so inspirational. It's so essential. So you you created the Sexual Rights Charter. What is next for you? What else are you working on? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I guess the launch of the Sexual Rights Charter was, even though there was a lot of work that went up to that point in time, there's now an incredible amount of work <laughs> supporting services and community groups to implement that. And there's been, fantastically, there's been a lot of interest in that. But my, now my time is really taken up with working with partner organisations in how they can use the charter. They're developing policies at local government level based on the charter. Mm-hmm. They're developing services and also um, training, quite interested in training that's built upon the sex, uh, Sexual Rights Charter to help their sort of services be more inclusive so that's the kind of that's where we're going now so I guess if you if we speak in about 12 months time I'll have a lot more to say about that that's fantastic and that's so important because it's not that these conversations don't need to be had and it's not that people don't want to have them Mm -hmm. I think it's because they've almost been suppressed for such a long time people don't have the voice to say some of these things and to have the charter it's a document. It's there to be able to talk about. So can we access your charter? Can we see it? Yeah, yeah. So that it does indeed, I agree. It, it provides a language, <laughs> which we might not have had for the first time yeah. for such a long time. Um, so the charter, if you visit uh, the website, which is agesexandrights.com, then there's information about the charter. So you can have a look and see if it's the kind of thing that, that people are interested in accessing. And then on there, there's a contact me form. So just drop me a line or send me an email my email address is on there as well and we can have a conversation about the charter because what we're trying to do at the moment we're keeping a track on who's using it and how it's being used so that we can get some feedback as to whether or not it works and we can sort of adapt it um, and because it will definitely evolve as time goes on but we're also providing support for use of the charter as well which is pro bono so as if we have that conversation with people that get in touch with us then it starts that uh, connection going fantastic and you also have a hashtag is it sex rights age that's right yes on twitter and on that how can we help raise awareness of all of this and have these conversations what sort of things could we do yeah, I think about, uh, I think it's very much about sort of promoting positive representations of aging, not only aging in general, but also within the sexuality fields as well, because 
there is a connection between our attitudes and our sexual health and well-being. There's a connection between ageism and our health and well-being. And we know there's now a solid evidence base to show that if we've got negative perceptions of ageing, then we're more likely to have poor health. And this, the opposite is true positive beliefs and attitudes towards aging we have better health and a, a study was published in the gerontologist last year that shows that if we've got positive attitudes about aging then we're more sexually satisfied as well so it does have an impact on our sex lives it really does oh dr sharon thank you so much it's been such a pleasure as always and so enlightening thank you oh thank you it's a pleasure And that's all we have time for. But if you'd like to find out more, do go to my website, which is www.draudreyt.com and check out my articles, which give you practical tools to live your best life. Or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive.